Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Okay, I'm excited to start a new series this weekend. It's called Stops Along the Way. And we're gonna stay in the series for most of the summer. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna follow the journey that the disciples made with Jesus. Now it's fascinating to me how Jesus decided to build the kingdom of God. If you were going to do that, if you were going to start what Jesus had to start, what would you do? If I had Jesus' abilities, I'd be like, man, I would gather the biggest crowd I could gather, watch this and do some amazing things, right? I would go after the people that were the greatest influencers who had the most subscriber counts. You know, I would go after the people that had the most amount of power and money, but that's not what Jesus did. Now, he certainly gathered some crowds of people, but he changed the world not by gathering influencers, but he changed the world by investing in 12 ordinary people. Not the most powerful, not the most influential, but the blue collar and the white collar carpenters. Several of them were fishermen, tax collectors who were hated. There was even a political activist in the middle of all of that. This is, this is how the Messiah chose to change the world through 12 people. And instead of saying, hey, okay, enroll to my Jesus school of, of religion, come to a weekend retreat where you're gonna learn all things Messiah, that's not what he did. He said, come follow me. And, and as they went, he would have these stops along the way where he would reveal the heart and the mind of God, where he would communicate deep spiritual truths about who God is and what God's kingdom was all about. And so our desire would be just to kind of go along with them through that journey, to seek to understand the heart and the mind of God as well. Now we know that Jesus was God, so it's not like these stops along the way were just like impromptu, like, oh yeah, while I'm at it, I'm gonna tell you this or that, you should know all of this stuff. And it wasn't that at all. What he was doing was actually really intentional and really purposeful. As he looked at his disciples, he said, these are the things that you need to get your head and your heart around. These are the parables, the interactions. And then, once you understand that, you can understand the heart and the mind of God himself. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna go along with these stops along the way to try and see and understand what they saw and what they understood. And what I want to do this weekend is I want to start by looking at the first four disciples of Jesus. So this would be Simon Peter, who we've all kind of known to be Peter. Uh, this was James and John. Um, they were uh, his brother Andrew, and then the brothers James and John. Those are the four we're going to kind of look at here. And they were some of the first to come and follow after Jesus. So if you have a Bible, turn it to Luke chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. There's an orange Bible probably underneath your seat somewhere. Turn to page uh, 702 if that's the case. 702. Luke 5, 1 through 11 or page 702. Here's what it says. There's one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's also called the lake of Tiberias or the lake of Galilee, 
The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets because they had cast their nets out. They would have picked up seaweed and, all, and it wasn't made out of nylon. They didn't have nylon. So they would wash out the nets so they wouldn't rot, so they didn't have little pebbles on them so they could work with them. And he got into the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. But Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because this fisherman knew that the fish would come up at the surface, the schools of fish would come up to the surface at night. That's when they should have been fishing. We did that. We didn't catch anything. We're, we're at the shore with nothing in our nets. We've been doing things our own way. But they say this, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And, when they, and then they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And I just picture the kind of heft that it would take for these fishermen to pull up these nets in the middle of the hot day. Fish after fish, filling both boats. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. Now, this, this, this is kind of like one of the first big miracles of Jesus. His miraculous power is on display. There's this catch of fish. I want to I dig at this for a second. Because Jesus wasn't just showing off. He wasn't like, hey guys, watch this. Oh, bam, there's your fish, right? Wow, check this out. That's not... That's not what he was doing. He was actually teaching these disciples something about himself. What, and, then, and, then, and then what they observed kind of informed how they responded to that. So I want to frame up kind of the context of what was happening as we open this picture, the culture that they were living in. These were Jewish men living under a Roman occupation. So they would have been oppressed. They would have been frustrated they would have had limited rights that would have been their reality because they would have always had to answer to some sort of Roman government pretty much any Roman official had the ability and they had the power of life or death over any Israelite man or woman certainly would have had the power to put him in jail and they were under an oppressive tax system so if you didn't pay your boat tax or your home tax or whatever tax, then, then they were going to seize it by the Roman government. And yes, since they were in this Jewish culture, they were told and they were taught that they were supposed to be free and independent people. And when that's your worldview and you live under oppression, that oppression, that injustice, that frustration would have really boiled your blood. So these young men were living in this system that this, in this context, you can imagine. Man, it would affect them the same way that it would affect you or I. 
Except for them, it was probably amped up because they didn't vote this government in. They couldn't vote the government out. That government just came in with their armies, obliterated the Jewish armies, and so there was no redress for their sorts of frustrations that they had. There was nothing they could do about it. The other thing that was true for them was that they were fishermen. And don't think like, hey, they're just fishermen, like, hey, they went down to Target and got a job. It wasn't like that. It was something that was much more a core part of their identity because whatever your job was was kind of an offshoot of what your dad would have done, what your family business would have been. So they, they would have grown up fishing from the youngest time of their lives. Their dad, their grandfathers were probably fishermen. In fact, we, we do know that the sons of Zebedee, that they were coming from a fisherman's family. So in this culture, your job wasn't something that you bopped in and out of. You didn't change career paths. It was something that the family did, and it was a core part of your identity. It would be a lot like someone being like a firefighter. Have you ever gone into a firefighter's home when like their dad was a firefighter and they would have the helmet and the axes and like it would just be firefighters or maybe someone who lived in the military. It's a heritage. Their family did that as well. They find their identity in it. So these fishermen, it was the same way for them. They would have looked at their, at their fishing and they would say, that's who I am. This is all I know. This is my source of income. It's my expertise. It's what I'm good at. I've been doing this since I was five years old with my dad. I understand it in minute ways. I know when to catch what kind of fish in what season, where in the lake. I know as much as anyone can know about it. I get my living. I put food on the table. I know all of it. It is a core part of their identity. And it's in the middle of this politically tense, frustrating time that Jesus shows up to these oppressed men whose identity was that they were fishermen. And Jesus shows up and Jesus makes sense to them. To them. He wants them to understand him. He wants to communicate his heart and the heart and the mind of God to them and he wants them to follow him. And so he shows up in their lives in a way that makes sense to them. When he shows up and he does a miracle, it's not just any miracle because Jesus had done a bunch of miracles. He had changed the water into wine. He had healed the leper. All those kinds of things. But that's not what he did. See, he, he shows up in their fishing boat where they had been fishing and he did a miracle that made sense to them and it spoke deeply to their individual mind, their individual heart because he loved them and he called them individually. Now guys, I, I, want, I want us to think about this for a moment because this is kind of how God works even now. He, he cuts through what happens to help make sense to me and to you. See, there's miracles can happen all over the place. People are praying for babies and they get pregnant. People are praying for hungry stomachs and they get food. Like that happens in other places. But when God shows up and when God answers your prayer and when God makes himself real to you, it makes sense to you 
and where you're at, that's what they were experiencing. That, that's the time when the miracle finally registers to us. That the creator of the universe would reach through the details of our own culture into what's happening in our lives and what's happening in our marriage, what's happening in our families. And he would say, I care about you and I want to communicate my heart and my mind to you. And I want you to experience my presence and my comfort in the middle of your life, not just in in grand global kind of ways, but in individual kind of of ways and he wants you to know him and he wants you to follow after him. I've seen that happen as people are wrestling with things of faith and then God does something that makes sense to them where they're at. And what happens chronologically as we move on from Luke chapter 5, Mark through Peter kind of records it this way that, that they called the, J- Jesus called these disciples along the, the, the edges of the lake and then it goes to Mark chapter 1 Mark chapter 1 now here's, here's the dangerous thing that could have happened to these disciples these four guys could have looked at their boats being filled up in this miraculous way and their understanding about who Jesus is could have stopped right there. He's the miracle worker. When I have a need, he fills, fills the need. When I have a want, he fills that. When I have a desire, he gives me the desires of my heart. And they could have allowed their understanding of Jesus to stop right there there they could have they could have left their boats they could have headed into town they could have been praising god they could give him all the credit they could have told everybody about the miraculous catch of fish they could have sold all of those fish and gotten all the wealth that comes from that and they could have spent the rest of their lives telling about when that time that god showed up in their lives and had this miraculous provision for them when they didn't think they could pay their tax bill and look at what god did look at how he provided for us they could have done all of that with the right intention and given glory to the right person and they could have given God praise for all the right reasons and yet their understanding about God could have been incomplete see what they had to do was they needed to follow him and not just remember him but follow him that's why it's so fascinating to me where, where Jesus kind of leads them next when he's like, hey guys, come on, come on with me, let's go. And then he takes them on a journey and he shows them a different aspect of, of who he is in Mark chapter one as they step into this town called Capernaum. It's the Sabbath. He goes into the synagogue and Jesus begins to teach. That's like the local church that would have existed in each town, the synagogue. Jesus shows up, he starts teaching. It says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. Then the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek 
Could you imagine that happening in church? Like, you would tell that story, right? So the disciples, they get to Galilee, they go to the synagogue at Capernaum, and this demon-possessed guy shows up. Everyone's blown away by Jesus. And I want you to think about how these four disciples would have experienced this, how they would have interacted with it. Because their last big Jesus moment was the boat with the fish. And then their next big Jesus moment is this. And they're sitting there hearing Jesus talk. And people are amazed because he's not just teaching them like one of the other teachers who would just say, hey, this is what God had to say. He was teaching as if he was God. He wasn't just teaching about God. He was teaching as the author of the scriptures. That's why they were blown away by this. And so the disciples, man, they got to be downloading this and they got to be thinking, wait a minute, I like this guy, he's fun to be around, he filled our boats with fish, he's a miracle worker, there's something definitely going on, he's this prophet, he's got power, and now they're going, wait a minute, hold on, he's not just talking about God, he's talking as if he is God. Now listen, we, we now believe that Jesus was God the Son, but for these ancient Jews, they had gone 400 years without hearing from God. Complete radio silence. Waiting for a prophet to come. And you know how they would know who a prophet was that was actually sent from God? Because people would claim to speak for God all the time. They would know they were actual when they would perform signs and wonders. And then Jesus shows up and he turns the water into wine and he has the boats full of fish. And so they're thinking this. This is amazing. A prophet after 400 years is here. And then there's this obscure passage in Isaiah that talks about a servant of God that's going to come. And he's going to be the promised one, the Messiah. It's like a super prophet. But this guy, is he the prophet? Is this who this is? I mean, the signs and wonders, I can't argue with that. Is he that Messiah? Is it possibly that? But they didn't have a frame of reference. Even the angels didn't know that Jesus was going to be God the Son. That's why they were so gobsmacked when he starts speaking not about God, but he starts speaking as if he was God. He was not just like a rabbi. He was not just like a, a prophet. He was speaking for God. He was speaking as if he was God. And I just imagine these disciples are just doing the math a little bit. Their heads have got to be spinning. He is teaching as one who has authority. And then this guy shows up in church. This demon-possessed guy. And, and you know, he's been around town. Everyone knows he's crazy. He's just a hot mess. Oh, he's here again. And we've tried to deal with him. And then Jesus deals with this demon-possessed man. And he says, the, the, the demon-possessed man says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus had never been there before. And yet, he gets called out by all, all people, by the spiritual forces. Identify him. And, and he says, what do you want with us? You've come to destroy us. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. <laughs> imagine, imagine being the disciples and you're processing this. You're like, my boat was full of fish. And I went home to my wife and I said, I'm following a new rabbi. And you say to your dad, hey dad, thanks for the family business. 
but it's yours. You take that over. I'm going to stop fishing and I'm going to follow this guy now. Your mind would have been spinning. And then Jesus is, is teaching as if he is God. And just then, this guy walks in and says, he is the Holy One of God. What you're thinking is probably what one of the four disciples is thinking is what the crowd thought as it goes on to say in verse 27 of Mark chapter 1. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? We've not experienced this before. We've, we've seen teachers of the law. We've heard people who claim to have inside knowledge about God, but whatever this is, this is some new kind of thing. This is some new kind of teaching. This is in another category altogether. He's, this is a new teaching with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits. Like we, we had to deal with this guy for years and years, and Jesus just says, hey, get out of there. And, and he leaves. Think about what they were experiencing. I'm out all night. I'm doing my own thing. I'm, I'm chasing after the fish. We're talking about things the way we always talk about things in the new tax law, how they're you know, building this new road about the Johnny Depp verdict. You know, they're talking about all the kind of normal things that you and I would have been talking about. And this guy comes up. And because you know about fishing, he has filled up your boat in a supernatural and amazing way. And he steps into your world and he makes sense to you. And you say, I'm gonna follow this guy. And you're listening to him teach. Now listen, I think there's, there's a lesson here. Did these disciples even understand fully who Jesus was? No. They didn't understand all that he is and yet they said, I know enough to follow after him. And I've talked with people that are like, I just don't know that I have it all figured out yet but it's possible that you know enough. And Jesus invites all of us to follow after him, even if you don't believe in him fully. Follow after me and I will reveal myself to you. Following after me will make life better for you in life and you better at life. He invited them into that. Follow me, he says, and you're listening to Jesus teach. He's not speaking about God, but he's speaking as if he's God. A demon-possessed man shows up, Jesus rebukes him. Now, what other layer of understanding are these disciples getting about who Jesus is and, and who he's calling them to be? They were learning something critical about who Jesus was. They were learning that Jesus is not simply their meal ticket. That's not, that's not who he, he was. He wasn't their good luck charm. That would be a shallow understanding about this guy who filled their boat with fish. Because to him, filling that boat was just the tip of the iceberg about who he was. They just learned that he was one who has authority. He's the Holy One of God. He's not just another rabbi. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another political idea. He's not just another philosophy. He is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. And they look at that and they know enough to follow after him. Just look at the math that they would have had to process here. Think about these sequence of events and the math that Jesus wants us to get our life around as well. 
He fills their boats. And to them, that would have been a life-changing miracle. To come back with your boats, two boats overflowing with fish, sinking with fish, that would have been the ancient equivalent of winning the lottery. So, so Jesus looks at Peter and John and Andrew and James and he says, I'm going to give you the lottery ticket. Bam, there it is. You nailed it. It's all yours. In those two boats, they would have not only their security, but it would have represented their financial wealth. It would have represented their financial freedom. It would have been their reputation and their legend. Who's the greatest fisherman in all of Galilee? I am. This guy is, right? It would have been that. It would have been freedom from a political system. I can go and I can pay my taxes and I can build my house and we can buy another boat and there's nothing Rome can do about it. And that wealth that leads to power, that leads to freedom, would have alleviated their political frustrations, their government frustrations, their personal stresses as well. It would have, been the, it would have caused them to be at the pinnacle of their career. And I want you to catch this, that Jesus gave them the miracle before he gave them the calling. That's good, write that down. Jesus gave them the miracle before he gave them the calling. He didn't bait them with blessings. He didn't say, hey, I'm gonna make a deal with you. If you guys will just follow me, we'll sign up for a little program, you give me two years, and at the end of that, I'll fill up your boat with fish. He didn't say that. He, di he didn't say, hey, uh, if you just follow me, I'll make you rich and I'll make, your fa make you famous and your hair will grow back and your kids will be on the starting team. Like, he didn't say any of that. If you, if you follow me, I'm gonna give you these benefits, but you gotta follow me first. That wasn't a deal that he struck. Jesus gave them the miracle first. And in essence, this is what he was doing. From his heart to their heart. He's posing a question and, and he was saying, hey, the fish, all the fish are yours. You can take them, you can have that, you can go sell them, you can use that in your life. I'm giving all of you that and no strings attached. But as the four disciples are sitting there and they're looking at their boats being filled with fish, what they were wrestling with, the question that we have to think about as well is this. What's more valuable? The miracle or the miracle worker? What's more valuable, the reception of the miracle or the reception of the miracle worker and an understanding about who he is. You know, that, that God does this thing in my life, woohoo, I got a new car, that's amazing, that's great. Is that more valuable to you or is knowing the heart and the mind of God, his presence in your life when you feel downcast, his joy and elation when he helps you on the mountaintops, you know, if we aren't careful, here's what can happen, and I've seen this in my life over and over again, that we can worship the miracle and not the miracle maker. God, you gotta heal me. God, you gotta change me. God, you gotta get us pregnant. God, you gotta help, me get, help my kids. You gotta help me get into this school. And if we aren't careful, we'll choose the miracle over the miracle worker. And one of the things that Jesus was giving to his disciples was this. He was giving them a conflict. He didn't bait them. He would look at them and he would say, hey guys, what would you rather have? Would you rather have the fish? 
Because you can have them. They're all yours. No strings attached. Go out. Let that pad your life. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help you. But if you don't want to follow me, that's fine. You can have all of it. But the disciples were faced with that conflict. Wait a minute. We're, we're not going to worship the miracle. We're going to worship the miracle worker because the, wor- the miracle worker is way more valuable than some stinky fish who will eventually rot, who will sell, and then will be out of money again. It's more valuable to have this miracle worker than this instantaneous temporal thing. Jesus was showing them something. He was showing them how valuable the kingdom of heaven actually is. He was saying the value of the kingdom of heaven is in himself. Paul would say it this way in in Philippians chapter three. He would say, I wanna know Christ to know the power of his resurrection and even to participate in his sufferings. I want to know him. I don't want to know about him. Not just benefits from him, but I want to understand his heart. I want to understand his mind. And so the disciples became true followers of Jesus when they chose the Messiah over the miracle. That's when they became actual followers. Just think about this for a second. And I hadn't realized this until a friend of mine, Jeff, he preached on it. It was so powerful. Think about this. They walked away from their lottery ticket. Do you think that was an easy thing to do? I don't. I don't think that's easy at all. I think it's really hard. When God has provided for you everything you know, everything you understand and value, and you choose to leave your boats full of fish and follow after him, and you have to walk away from your boats full of fish, and then you have to explain to your wife or to your mother-in-law, hey, we just hit the jackpot, but, but we're leaving it behind. Hey, Dad, here's all the fish. I'm sorry I'm leaving the, the family business. I'm going to go follow a new rabbi. Do you you think that as a human being, walking away from that's an easy thing to do? Because I don't. I think it would be very difficult. And as I'm walking away and I'm following Jesus into Capernaum, I'm going to be second-guessing that quite a bit. We're following around the Messiah, right? Yeah. That was a lot of fish. Like, we think he was a prophet. Yeah, we know he's a prophet. He's, yeah, he did 100%. He's the guy. But that was a lot of fish. And we're walking into the unknown. Yep. But that fish would have secured the unknown for us. It would have protected our lives. That's a, a lot of fish. And so sequentially then when Jesus goes and takes them into the synagogue, he's teaching them as, with a lot of authority as if he is God. And then this demon-possessed man comes in. It's no accident. And he calls out Jesus as the Holy One of God. All of a sudden, that's a lot of fish. But that's a lot of authority. In fact, it's deity. He's the Holy One of God. And God loved us enough to make sense to us. He didn't change water into wine. He didn't heal me of leprosy. But I know fish. And he took care of me at my need. And so you know what that did? They wanted to follow him. Jesus didn't make them. They wanted 
to follow him. They wanted the miracle worker. And I believe that the synagogue and everything that happened was in part to affirm their faith and to help them with their doubts. Now the Bible would also say this to us, to you and me, that we are his disciples. And Jesus would say to all of us, come follow after me. And me is the key word. Don't follow after a political ideology. Don't follow after a Christian subculture. Don't follow after the blessings. It's not just the possibility of miracles, but follow me. And as Christians who live in the West, there is a particular temptation that we will have to follow after the miracle rather than the miracle worker. And there's always going to be a temptation to substitute the provisions of God instead of the presence of God. To worship the stuff that he provides, the house, the career, the boats full of fish, rather than to love and feast on God himself. And sometimes, sometimes it'll show up this way. Sometimes it'll show up through a boat full of fish. And God gives you what you want. And you look at that and you say, look at this new thing that I got and look at this provision and this, you know, this vacation home or this job, this is so good. And you start to think a little bit like this is because I've earned it and see what I'm due and don't get in the way of my rights and this is my thing and our boats are full and we're tempted to gravitate towards the miracle rather than the miracle worker. But you know, there's also times when that shows up when the boat is empty when you've called out to God over and over for a miracle, you've been asking him to make your spouse love you again for your children to come back home and for whatever reason, God chooses to leave your boat empty. But you know what he promises? He promises us that he will be present with us even when the boat is empty. The disciples chose his presence when their boat was full. But the real glory of the Messiah and what he offers is that God would be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, even when our boats are empty. And the Messiah is so much more valuable than the miracle. Because there's gonna come a day when the spouse that you just pray that would love you, you're gonna be standing over a casket as it closes. And they're no longer gonna be there for you anymore. And there's a day when the, your child is gonna move away and, they, and, they're, and you're alone in your home. And that thing that you just wanted to have that you were gonna lift up as the greatest thing in your life is not there anymore. But you know what is present? A God who sits with you on the ash heap. A God who knows what it's like to suffer and offer his comfort and let that be your foundation because God's presence is richer and sweeter and this is, this is what the disciples got right. I would love to think that if I was that disciple, I would make that same choice. Would you? Would you follow the fish? Would you follow the foundation of a, pre, of a, of a relationship with God?
Jesus, Jesus would say, come follow me because you know what? You think a full boat is something? You haven't seen anything yet. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I can do more than you could ask or imagine and it probably won't always look like a full boat. In fact, sometimes your boat's gonna be quite empty but the prize, the prize is me he would say, not the miracle. The prize is the Messiah, the one who can save you from your sins, the one who can overcome death, the one who is bigger than all of the mess that we live in, that stands over the nations and the kingdoms, the one that can give you peace in the storm even when Rome's still in the picture. He says, follow me. I haven't even begun to blow your mind yet. And if you would walk by faith with me into the unknown, I will reveal even more about what the true measure of my kingdom is and the true treasure of the kingdom of God. And I look at the disciples and I would say, they were remarkable the moment they said this line, because you say so. I'm an experienced fisherman. I've been out all night long. I'm exhausted. They didn't know everything, but they saw this guy, this carpenter who said, hey, cast your nets out one more time. (sighs) Because you say so. And that small act of faith Jesus exploded onto the scene through some unlikely fishermen who were neither wealthy nor influential and yet the same amphitheaters that were built to destroy and kill Christians were demolished and on that site are currently churches to St. James and John and Peter 2,000 years later. Their small act of faith with God's faithfulness changed the world. Because you said so, they walked into it. And they didn't know everything, but they knew enough. And they followed. And the disciples went from that space. And even at that point, they didn't understand who Jesus fully was. And piece by piece, stops along the way, Jesus downloaded it to them. Like I, like, I wish we could just like hit like, download all of it. I want to understand all of it in one fell swoop. Give me a full understanding of all your grace in one moment. But God never promises us that. He gives us the grace we need each day, each day at a time, and says, walk by faith with what's in front of you. And you'll experience my presence in deeper ways, grace by grace, grace upon grace. As we say to Jesus, you know what, I'm tired, I've been up all night, why are you asking me to do this again? Because you say so. I will follow after you. I'm gonna take a step in your direction. And God would say, I'm gonna make myself real in your life so that it makes sense to you. And I'll reveal myself to you as we make stops along the way. Let me pray for you. God, the hardest thing to do is to, in the sometimes boring moments of life, take steps of obedience when we feel tired and worn out to say, because you say so. When we feel like chasing after our fish, when we feel like chasing after the miracle rather than the miracle worker, that's, that's double tough. And yet that's the essence of faith and what it means to follow after you, God. So for wherever anyone may be here this weekend, God, would you... Uh, step through
through and cut through the noise in their own hearts, the noise in my heart, to help us grow in faith, to follow after you and experience your presence. We love you, Jesus. We praise you and pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Part of that journey for many is, is that moment where you say, I'm, I'm gonna follow after Jesus even when I don't necessarily understand all of it. And I'm gonna follow through with obedience. And so that was something that actually happened this last weekend. We had two people uh, who decided to get baptized. Some of you were at the river. It was awesome. Many of you weren't. And so I want to celebrate and show you a picture of what that means to kind of follow with that kind of obedience. Here's a video from this last weekend. But tell people about when you made a faith decision to follow after Um, I don't know, it must have like months ago, I don't know exactly when, but I don't know, I was having like a hard time and I was kind of like at rock bottom, so nothing else to do but pray, so God has just been like an anger for me and like stability in my life really. Awesome. Why, why do you want to get baptized today? Um, because I want to give a public dec- declaration of my loyalty and my that's awesome. It's kind of cool. This is kind of deep enough here. So come on this way and just go ahead and kneel down. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> because you're trusting in Christ for salvation, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father. Right, two more times, all right? In the name of the Son. In the name of the Holy Spirit. Pray quickly over Ty, right where you're at, out loud. Lord, thank you for Ty. Thank you for all of the energy that he's brought into our youth group. And we just thank you so much for the work that you've done at him. And um, we just pray that he would continue to follow you all of his days. God, thank you for Ty. Thank you for his family. God, I pray that you would strengthen his faith, his trust, that it would deepen in you. God, I pray that you would uh, help him to fall more in love with you and in love with others on a daily basis. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, Jason, it's really a privilege. We've been talking a lot about this in the last couple months. Um, tell everybody about, you know, when when Jesus came and became real to you. About 12 years ago, I asked uh, Jesus to come in my life. And uh, they really blessed me. Let's worship as we close.